part of a healthy church. And keeping a church healthy is something over which we have some control, especially in a church that practices the New Testament concept of congregational church government. We find also that it's something for which the pastors and ministry leaders bear responsibility. We as pastors and people must do all we can to keep our church a healthy, healthy church by being committed to keeping our church, first of all, a Christ-centered church. The church is all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. If we ever get our focus off of Him, we're going to become a sick church. And uh, if it stays that way, Eventually, a church becomes a dead church instead of Christ's church. We need to do all we can to keep our church a cross-driven church. As we saw the last few weeks, and we shall see this morning, that we must do all we can to keep our church and any church of which we might be a part a Bible-based church. Churches devoted to the wonderful words of life that we find in the Scripture. The Bible must be seen and adhered to as our only infallible and authoritative guide for all we believe and all that we do. It's our guide for faith and practice. And this is true as for each of us as individuals. Because a church is made up of individuals brought together, called out by God and brought together. It's also true of us as a church, as a group of believers, as a church body. And we find that it, this is something that is it's very appropriate that we be a Bible-based church. Uh, first of all, because of the nature of the Bible. I hope you've noticed that in the church bulletin, right above the order of services in there, Every, every week we have a Bible verse, or maybe sometimes a couple of Bible verses. We usually run those verses for a month at a time. If you'll read it over every week, that may even help you to learn that. Commit it to memory. Hide God's Word in your heart. And I want you to notice the verse this morning. It's been in, in there last week. It'll be in here for the rest of the month. But it ties right in with what we want to talk about this morning. When we think about the nature of the Bible we find that it tells us here, all Scripture, they're talking about the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, that word inspired means God breathed. That doesn't mean that he uh, gave the uh, John and Peter and Isaiah and Jeremiah, gave them a shot of inspiration, then they went with it. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit of God directed these biblical authors as they were putting things down on paper, and he enabled them to get down on paper exactly what God wanted to reveal to us. The Bible is revelation. God reveals himself to us in a special way. He reveals his will. He reveals his character. Now, we can see things about God in general revelation, in the creation we see around us. But there's things about God that we'll never figure out just by looking at the, the things around us. We need the Word of God. 
to, to tell us what God is like and what God's plan is for us and how, how really how we can get to heaven, how we can be right with God. Those things are all revealed to us by God in the Scripture. So the Bible is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. The Bible is the Word of God. You read the Bible, it's like God is talking to you. It's God's love letter to us. That's the nature of the Scripture. And, boy, if we don't remember that, then, then we're in, in great, great difficulty and dire straits as a church. We find also this passage of Scripture tells us about the sufficiency of the Bible. It tells us what the Bible's for. It's profitable. It's worthwhile for doctrine, for teaching, that is. Teaching us about heaven, teaching us about hell, teaching us about man, the basic nature of man, teaching us about Jesus, teaching us about the Holy Spirit, teaching us about the future and the, the fact that Jesus is coming back again, teaching us what Christ did when he was in the first place. Sometimes people say, well, I, I don't like doctrine. Well, I'll tell you what, the doctrine divides, and believers divide over doctrine. You know what doctrine is? Doctrine's truth. Doctrine is teaching. And, and if, you know, sometimes people, if they, if they want to not believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, that He's fully divine, and the Bible teaches that He is, hey, maybe that divides, but I'll stick with the biblical truth of who Jesus is. The Bible is profitable for doctrine, for truth, and is profitable for rebuke. It tells us when we go wrong. And uh, one of the first things the Bible tells us is that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible tells us where we go wrong. The Bible also is profitable for correction. Some of us are pretty good at telling people where they go wrong, but we may not be so good at helping them to get corrected. Uh, the Bible also is profitable for instruction in righteousness, to teach us how to keep from going wrong in the future, how to live right. The Bible is profitable. It's valuable. That's why when we get together here, we study God's Word. It's profitable. My words aren't that profitable. God's Word is profitable. And if you go on down to verse 17, we find it says that it's profitable for all these things, that the man of God may be complete, that's mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is what we need to equip us to live for Jesus Christ in this day and age. The Bible is what we need as a church in order to carry out God's will that he has for us. So it is appropriate, extremely appropriate, that we stick with the Bible, that we be a Bible-based church, we be a Bible-believing people, that I be a Bible-preaching preacher. We need to stick with what God's Word. That, that's what it's all about. Uh, Paul, when he talks to Timothy, he says, preach the Word in season, out of season. Preach the Word. That's a preacher's job above everything else. Proclaim God's truth. You go to the book of Acts. What do you find the apostles going? Time and again, they're preaching who Jesus is. His death, burial, resurrection. Calling upon men to put their faith and trust in Christ. They're, they're, they're preaching even from the Old Testament scriptures as they preach. We find in place of, of churches being Bible-based, you say, well, I thought all churches were Bible-based. Aren't all churches alike? No, they're not. They're not. And we find, first of all, there, there are some churches that want to add church tradition 
to the Scripture. The Roman Catholic Church, in their writings, they, they declare that uh, they, they put the, church, the traditions of the Church upon the same plane as the Scripture. Things that the Church has done over the course of the years, they've just adopted. That's part of their practice. Well, that, the, the only problem is sometimes churches do end up doing things that aren't really accurate, that aren't really profitable, aren't really proper. God hasn't necessarily instituted them. That's why we're better off just to keep going back to the Scriptures. You know, there's value in studying church history. There's value in studying the history of church doctrine and what the church has got, done down through the years. But you know where the, the, the greatest value is? The greatest value is just going back to this book. What's the Bible say? It doesn't matter so much what John Calvin said or what, what Martin Luther said. What matters is what does the Bible say? And we go back to the Scripture. So we, we dare not add church tradition, even Baptist church tradition, and put that on the same plane as the Scriptures. And if we find that there are things that have crept into our practices, and into our functioning as a church that don't really have a good, solid biblical basis, we need to alter that. That's what happened when Christ was here on the earth. The Pharisees and the scribes had added so much tradition to the Old Testament that they'd lost the Old Testament truth. And when Jesus stood up and said, It's written, and gave them the proper teaching of Old Testament truth, those that were living for church tradition or, or, or Jewish tradition, they were mightily turned off by that and ended up killing the Lord Jesus on the cross. We find another alternative is uh, extra-biblical revelation. People add revelation that people are supposedly getting to what the Bible says. This is where the cults really go off base. Uh, the Mormons, one of put more stock, basically, in what Joseph Smith says than what the Bible says. And uh, basically, you go to most of the cults, and you'll find someplace along the way, there, there's some somebody that's claiming they got some additional revelation from God somehow, some way, and they want to add that to the biblical teaching. I'll tell you what, that's dangerous ground to get onto. In fact, I'm very suspicious. Anytime somebody stands up today and says, you know, God told me this. God told me that. Well, how do I know that? How can you tell that? You know what? We are a lot safer, folks, just sticking with what the Bible has to say, not adding supposed revelations that man claim they're getting today and putting them on the same plane as Scripture. You have some people that subordinate the Scriptures to human reason. Uh, they come across some of the Scripture that, that they have a hard time uh, understanding or a hard time believing, so, well, that must not be accurate. In fact, sometimes people have come up with the idea, well, the Bible's inspired, and you can believe it when it talks about spiritual matters and, and things such as salvation and heaven and things like that. But matters of geography, science, history, things like that, we can't really trust the Bible. Well, I don't buy into that. You, know, you, you can't subject the Word of God to man's discernment as far as what's right, what's wrong. What's it say there in 2 Timothy 3.16? It says that all Scripture is God-breathed. 
and profitable for doctrine and, and rebuke and correction, instruction and righteousness. All Scripture. That includes when, it, when the Bible speaks about things that touch on science. Maybe it's not a science book. But when it touches on things related to science, you can trust it. When the Bible speaks about things that touch on history. And let's face it, our, our faith is rooted in time and history. And when the Bible speaks about historical things, you can trust it. When it speaks about geographical things, you can trust it. And quite honestly, if you can't trust the Bible when it talks about things that touch on science and touch on history and touch on geography, I don't know if I want to trust it when it, when it tells me how I can get to heaven. If, you can't even, if, if the Bible can't even get history right or geography right, how can it be trusted when it tells us how to be right with God and get to heaven? The fact of the matter is, it is accurate in any area in which it touches. We can trust in the Word of God and what it has to say. We find also that there are some that just flat out in our day and age reject the divine origins and infallible nature of the Scripture. There are those that would uh, shake their head in pity to me today. How can you believe that so simplistically? And they'd say that there are there heirs in the Bible, and that it's man's word. God didn't give us the Bible. Men gave us the Bible. Well, it's true. God used 40 human authors over 1,500 years of time, but the same Holy Spirit of God, we're told in Second Timothy or Second Peter one. Move these men along, just like the the water, the, the wind moves a boat along over the water, so that they got down on paper is exactly what God wanted. But we find that uh, there are those that sadly today reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They reject the deity of Jesus Christ. They reject the uh, matter of salvation by grace through faith alone. They basically teach some type of salvation by works if they teach it all. They reject the idea that marriage is to be between one man and one woman until death separates them. They reject what the Bible has to say about homosexuality being sin. They reject what the Bible has to say about sex outside of marriage being sinful. Uh, but, but we find that it, it's sad. People are rejecting the Scriptures today. And, and the Bible is under attack. And the saddest thing is, the Bible is under attack in many, many churches today. It's one thing when it's attacked from the outside, but when it's attacked from the church itself, how sad that is. We find that uh, a healthy church, when it comes to being Bible-based, has a Bible-based mission, a Bible-based message. We also need to follow a Bible-based methodology. And lastly, uh, have our manner be Bible-based, the way we live, the way we do things. First of all, we have a Bible-based mission. If you were to go over to Matthew 28, as we looked at a few weeks ago, we find that our job is to uh, make disciples of all nations, right? And to baptize them and to continue to teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us to do. How important it is that we carry out that mission. Christ told the apostles, you're going to be my witnesses, witnesses to his resurrection in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. We have a, a mission as individuals uh, to, to get the message out. 
to tell our neighbors, tell our friends about the Lord Jesus Christ. We also have a, a, a mission as a, an organized group. In Acts chapter 13, we read about the church in Antioch. If you have your Bibles, you might flip over there. Acts 13, verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaim, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, and they laid hands on them and sent them away. There we find the church in Antioch is sending Paul and Barnabas out to take the gospel message to places outside of, of, of Israel, outside of Antioch. And we have the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul that takes place from there. But our job as a church is to broadcast a, a message, to get out good news. The world needs to hear a message, and, and that's our job, to get that message out. And, and we need to get it to our friends, our neighbors, our families, the uttermost parts of the world. And Christ's message that we have to get out is a message of hope. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of reconciliation with God and each other. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of eternal life. It's a message of grace and mercy, a message of love and peace, a message of joy and victory, a message of the possibility of change, people be, being made new creations in Christ, old things passing away, all things becoming new. It is a message of truth. Does the world need to hear those things today? Your neighbors need to hear that kind of a message today. Guess who has the job of getting that message out? It's us. God help us if we turn away from that message and begin to devote ourselves to anything else. The church is also a practice Christ message. We are to be salt and light. We are to demonstrate changed lives in a wicked and fallen world. We're called upon in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 to always be ready to give an answer for what? Anybody remember? The hope that is within us. So people are to see the hope that's within us in a world that has no hope. And when I ask you about that hope, we need to be ready to give an answer. I tell them we have that hope because we have Jesus. We had a, a sign on our, our, our church sign down there for several weeks. It says, there is hope, there is Jesus. And that people ought to see that in our lives. And we ought to be ready to deliver that good news to other people as well. We have a Bible-based message. Our message, our mission, get the message out. And our message is the message of the cross. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter or 1 Corinthians 1. He says, God, I'm called to preach the cross, to preach the cross of Christ. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told the gospel is, the gospel is that Christ, what? He died for our sins. According to the scripture, he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. And the good news is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, proven by his resurrection, sinners can be forgiven. Sinners can be given the gift of eternal life. 
sinners could be made right with God. We could be sinners saved by grace. Everybody's a sinner. But the good news is we could be sinners saved by grace. That's our message. It's, it's a message of, of Christ's gospel, of grace. And good news today, our God is a God of grace. If he was just a God of justice and just a God of righteousness, you and I would all still be doomed to hell. But he's also a God of grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. God wants to give us salvation as a free gift. That's what grace is all about. That's our message that we got to get out. And it's also a message that recognizes man's need. Uh, what's it say in Romans 3.23? All have what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that by nature we are dead in trespasses in uh, we're spiritually dead. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our message proclaims God's provision. What's God's provision? God's provision is Jesus. God's provision is the cross. God's provision is the atonement. Christ being our substitute as he dies there on the cross of Calvary. We find in uh, 2 Corinthians 5:21 it says that he took him who knew no sin to become to be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him that's God's provision isn't that good news he who knew no sin took our sin became sin for us and we can be righteous in the eyes of God and one of these days folks that's the only thing that's going to matter to you when you stand before God does he see you as being righteous or does he see you as not being righteous and the only way you can be righteous before God is to have Christ's righteousness. That's imputed to us as we put our faith in him. We find that this message that we proclaim is a message that declares a victory of Christ's resurrection. It's also a message that passionately and accurately calls men to respond to it. It's one thing to know the gospel to know the good news about the cross, to know the good news about the resurrection, to know that you can be forgiven. But we got to respond to it. You know, it's one thing to know, John 3, 15 says, God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes I think maybe the whole world knows. I hope the whole world knows that. At least, you know, you see people put it on signs in baseball games and football games, and sometimes athletes will put it on their eye black, under their eyes. Hey, it's great. John 3.16, getting out there. That's wonderful. You know, if you just know, you can know John 3.16. You can be able to quote John 3.16 and still spend eternity in hell. Because what are we called upon to do? We're called upon to believe, put our faith in Christ to be our Savior, to get that wonderful gift of eternal life. Genuine saving faith involves repentance towards sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes, well, what, what do we need to be saved from? Well, we need to be saved from sin. And Jesus saves us from our sins. We repent of our sins, put our trust in him. We find we also need biblical-based methodology. God's work needs to be done in God's way. It's, it's great when churches can cooperate and, and do things together and, and work together. 
But the sad thing is today, folks, you can't work together with all the churches because there are churches that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in a literal hell. They don't believe that, that salvation is by grace through faith. And you, you look at the World Council of Churches and what they don't believe, and it makes you sick. How could, how could churches are even part of the World Council of Churches? How can they call themselves churches? And we're warned in Scripture not to be unequally yoked. A lot of, most of, a lot of times we apply that to marriage. Unbelievers shouldn't marry unbelievers, and that's true. But it's also applied to the way we carry out God's work. We as a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church, preaching salvation by grace through faith, how could we work together in anything with something that calls itself a church that doesn't believe Jesus is the Son of God? How can we work together with a church that doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? You know, there are some fundamentals of the faith that have been rejected by too many churches. And then on God's work, we've got to do God's work in God's way, and we just can't cooperate with it. Uh, that there's a folly in unbiblical alliances. There's also folly in, in neglecting or minimizing the message. We live in a day and age when the preaching of God's Word is being minimized too many places. Uh, people want a good show when they get together at church. Uh, people want to walk out with just a good feeling. They want an emotional experience. And uh, it, it, it can't be about that. Hey, it, it's great. Thank God for the, the great music this morning. Thank God for the messages and song we heard. But you know what the most important thing about any song is? It's not the rhythm. It's not the beat. It's not the melody. You know what the most important thing about any song is? What's it say? Does it proclaim biblical truth? And if it doesn't teach truth, the truth is anything other than truth, then it ought not to be part of a worship service. And if it, if it just doesn't say anything, then it's kind of meaningless and shouldn't be part of it. The most important thing is the preaching of the Word of God, whether it's preached through a song, whether it's preached through a, a, a direct study from the Word of God, I, I got to be involved in, in picking out the pulpit when we bought this uh, this furniture. And one of the things I said, you know what I want on the front of that pulpit? That's an open Bible. That's an open Bible. And that's what this church ought to be about. That's what my ministry ought to be about. Opening God's Word and teaching it and studying it. And it's what a sad thing to neglect and minimize the preaching of the Word of God. Paul warned Timothy that people are going to have itching ears. Tell me something I want to hear. Tell me something that's going to make me feel good. Tell me something that's going to inspire me. Well, I'll tell you what, the truth does all that stuff. But man, that better not be the, the primary thing we're after. The primary thing we ought to be after is communicating God's truth, getting the message out. Revelation 22 warns about the curse coming upon any who would take away from God's word. And he would add to God's word. Mistake to do both of those. Lastly, we need to have a Bible-based manner. The church needs to believe the Bible. The church needs to preach the Bible. The church needs to defend the Bible because it's under attack today. 
The church must live the Bible. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us over there that you and I are not just to be hearers of the word. What else are we supposed to be? Doers of the word. Spiritual maturity is not about how much of the Bible we know, how much Bible truth we, we, we've committed to memory, how many answers we could give on a Bible trivia test. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity has to do with knowing God's Word, but also living God's Word, being Christ-like, applying biblical truth to our day-to-day -day lives in everything that we say and everything that we do. We need to study God's Word, and we need to know the Bible. Sometimes that's been minimized, being minimized today. Well, we... Well, we, we have all these studies, you know, we, we, we start getting taught the Bible in Sunday school the time we're very young and, and whatnot, and we have all these services where we teach the Bible. We don't need any more services that teach the Bible. I, I, I disagree with that. You know, how, how much biblical truth is too much? You know, there's a place for continuing to teach the Word of God, not just in church, by the way, also in our homes. Parents ought to be teaching their kids the Bible from the time they're extremely young and all through life, teaching what the Word of God says, but not just teaching it as, as so much trivia or so many facts that commit the memory. You see, as we're taught God's Word, we're to respond to it by the way that we live. We need to obey the Bible in what we say and how we say it. Now, too many Christians say, well, yeah, I believe the Bible, but man, they, they still can slice people to ribbons with their tongue and the way that they talk. That's not spiritual maturity. I don't care if you do know what the verses say about that. You've got to be applying it. We need to obey, uh, obey the Bible in, in what we do, in our deeds. And we need to obey the Bible in our character, who we are, what we are. And what we are, what we are to be, is Christ-like. We need to be saved. We need to know Christ as Savior. And then we need to be growing in our relationship with Him. I got several goals for my ministry and for any church that I pastor. I want to be known as a pastor and as a church who preaches Jesus, who preaches Christ. I want people to think I'm obsessed with Christ. I want people to think this church is obsessed with Christ. My goal is that I want to be known as a pastor who preaches the cross of Christ and the good news of the gospel. I, I want us to be obsessed with telling people the good news is that, yeah, you're a sinner, but you can be saved. Christ died for you so you can be a sinner saved by grace. And, and you can have that grace, you can have that salvation by repenting your sin, trusting in Christ. I don't think you can tell people that too much. I don't think you can pass that word along to too many people. I want to be known as a pastor who preaches salvation by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be known as a pastor in a church who preach the Bible 
to preach the Bible as an inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God. Preach the Bible as absolute truth. Preach the Bible as our guide for faith and practice. Preach the Bible for what it says. Not trying to make it say something else that's more palatable to people. Just preaching what's there. And if people have a problem with what's there, and they, they have a problem with me because I tell them what's there, your problem's not with me, folks. If I tell you what God says and God really said it, who's your problem with? Your problem's with God, and you know who needs straightened out? It's not God. It's you that needs to make the adjustment. I want to preach the Bible to be applied to life. I don't ever want to just give history lessons. I don't ever want to just give Bible lessons. You see, we, we're called upon to respond to the Scripture, to apply it. When it comes to salvation, as we said a moment ago, it's not enough just to know the gospel. But man, we got to believe the gospel. we got to put our faith in Christ. I think there's going to be people in hell that know the gospel. They know how to get saved. But for one reason or another, they never did. They never did put their trust in Christ. We also need to apply the Bible in growing in Christ-likeness. You may be able to point back to a time in your life when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Let me ask you another question. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Have you become more like Christ since you got saved? And, and are you still becoming more like Christ? In what you say, in what you do, in who you are. And that's what the Bible says to you and I. We look at, look at its process. It's God breathed, and it's profitable to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to instruct us in righteousness, and to uh, equip us, equip us for the kind of life the Lord wants us to lead. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you that it is so meaningful in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, it needs to be the basis for our church. Lord, we realize that when we're a Bible-based church, we're also going to be a Christ-centered church because the Bible talks about Jesus. It told us he was going to come, told us he's here, has been here, and it tells us he's coming back again. And Jesus tells us about the Bible that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. God, help us to be a Bible-centered church. I pray it today if there's anyone with us that has never put their faith in Christ, never responded to the, the biblical message of the gospel. They know it, but they never responded. I pray you might speak to their heart today and they might respond to the gospel and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would, you would help us to keep responding to the gospel and we become more like Christ day by day that people really would see Christ in us. They really would see a hope within us, a sure and certain hope. And they might ask us about it. And then we get the great privilege of telling them, hey, it's Jesus. Tell them what he means to us. God, we pray you just speak in our hearts and our lives today and in the days to come. Help us to be people of the book. Uh, ordering our lives day by day and everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we are. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen.